See, sometimes I look at people who have their life all together and I think, well, someday I'll be like that, but I'm nowhere near there today. Well, first off, nobody has it all together, and second off, there's nothing they have that you don't have when it comes to the power of God to become somebody new. See, every one of us is welcomed by God to come as we are, but he loves us way too much to keep us that way. And so when we walk with God in our life, our life over time should look different than when we first started. So if you today are feeling like, I am exactly the same Christian I was two years ago or four years ago or eight years ago, or maybe 50 years ago, you're missing out on what God wants to do in you and through you. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. We begin today a three-week series. We're going to look at this book, Second Peter. And each week we'll have a little more of that video. You can find that at thebibleproject.com. We're borrowing their video and just talking about what is this book and what does it mean for us. See, we believe scripture is all from God and all of it is to reveal God to us. It's not a list of things we need to do better or fix or get right, but rather it's God showing us his power and his love and his kindness. So today we're going to begin by reading chapter 1 out loud. I'll read it. You can see it on the screen. You can follow along in the Bibles in front of you. If you're upstairs, they're on tables on the sides. Uh, However you follow along, even if it's on your phone, all of this is to help us connect with God. So if you're following along, page 1263, or your phone, just search it, okay? Here we go. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from, all, from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you ever read a big chunk of scripture and then you go, huh? Okay, good. I do too. In fact, I was excited when Emily suggested, what if we did 2 Peter next as we were trying to plan and discover? So that sounds good. I like 2 Peter. Let's look. And we glanced and I was like, huh? What is he talking about? And I read it and I read it and I read it. And yesterday morning, I was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I was there for my grandmother's funeral and I was sitting at the hotel early in the morning eating breakfast and I was reading it and I was going... Huh? Like, sometimes I'm ready to speak and I, I have a clear idea of what to talk about weeks in advance. And other times, I just read God's word and go, okay, now what? And yet, for all of us, I think that's the way we approach God's word. It's not always clear. It's not always easy. Sometimes it references things we don't understand in a culture that's foreign to us, and that's okay. It's still beneficial to be in it. And so I want to share with you just, we're going to focus on a few of these verses, not on the whole thing. If you want to look up that video and get a better picture, go back and rewatch it and, and remind yourself of these things, you can find the Bible Project video um, on YouTube. Just look for the Bible Project, Second Peter, and that'll help you with the details surrounding this book a little more. But here goes, beginning in verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. 
His divine power has granted to us all things. Like picture this, you and I as people of God, according to Peter, one of the disciples who was there with Jesus, who often got it wrong, who often screwed up. Like if Jesus were walking here today, I would like to say I would get it all right because clearly, how do you miss that, right? And yet Peter didn't. Over and over and over again, he messed up. He screwed up. Even on the very day of Jesus' death, he, de- he denied and betrayed Jesus three times. It's like, I don't know that man. And yet, he writes, he's granted to us everything we need for life and godliness. See, sometimes I look at people who have their life all together and I think, well, someday I'll be like that, but I'm nowhere near there today. Well, first off, nobody has it all together. And second off, there's nothing they have that you don't have when it comes to the power of God to become somebody new. See, every one of us is welcomed by God to come as we are, but he loves us way too much to keep us that way. And so when we walk with God in our life, our life over time should look different than when we first started. So if you today are feeling like I am exactly the same Christian I was two years ago or four years ago or eight years ago or maybe 50 years ago, you're missing out on what God wants to do in you and through you. See, all of our life is about growing. In fact, even very physically, we know this, right? You start out as a little baby and thankfully you don't stay that way. Because if you stayed that way, you would need diapers forever, and that would be a mess. If you stayed that way, you would always need somebody else to feed you, and I don't want to eat any of those squished peas or carrots or things that babies eat, right? I want a steak or like all kinds of other really good foods. If you're joining the youth group later today, pizza. Babies don't get pizza, and that's sad. See, we all physically need to grow, but spiritually we do as well. And Peter, he begins, look, we all have this power for life and godliness. He's not saying that we can just fix our own mess and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and figure it out. Rather, God has given to us equally the opportunity to grow with him. That's really good news. You're not better off or worse off than your neighbor, no matter how much you've done or where you've been or where you're at. You're just at a different phase in the same journey. He continues, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. See, Peter paints this picture that for many of us is uncomfortable to think about. He says, we have escaped from the corruption of this world. Unfortunately, I have had to do a lot of funerals in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Three of them, actually, in the last two weeks. And usually I do like three a year. And what I hear every time somebody dies, doesn't matter who they are or how they lived, I immediately hear stories of how good the person was. Like, have you ever had somebody that you know who died and they were kind of a terrible person and nobody really liked them, but then at the funeral, all they do is talk about how much they loved and how kind and wonderful they were? 
You're like, that's not the person I knew. Can I be honest about who they really were? That's also why I tend to not give an open mic at funerals for people to talk, because some people get up and say those things. And I don't want them sharing the really honest truth sometimes. But Peter, he says, look, this whole world is corrupted. Everything about this world is broken. It's not just that some of us are broken or some are more broken. No, everything is corrupted. And yet we have escaped that corruption. We have been brought out of that corruption to become partakers of the divine nature. God himself to become like God. No, I don't mean that you will one day have your own planet you rule over. That's ridiculous. No, I don't mean that one day you will be all-knowing and omniscient or that one day you'll be reunited with the oneness of the universe and we all will be like a drop of water returning to the ocean. No, we are divine image bearers. In the beginning when God created us, he made us, you and I, male and female, mankind, in his image. And he's given to us the power to be like him, not to be him. And so, Peter, he writes, look, we become partakers of the divine nature. We participate in the things God does, in who he is. Well, elsewhere in scripture, it talks about how love is patient. God is love. We participate in that patience that kindness, that gentleness, and that self-control. Imagine participating in the very nature of who God is. If God is creator and is healer and is the one who can speak and worlds can come to be, imagine if the words that you speak can bring life in other people as well, as opposed to tearing them down and destroying who they are or who they think they are. What if you and I can participate in the work that God is doing to love our neighbor, to redeem those who think they're unredeemable? What if we get to be, in some sense, little Christs to the world around us? Because that's what Christian means. It quite literally means to be a little Christ, a, a miniature version of him. So that when people encounter you and they encounter me, they don't look and go, wow, Adam is such a great guy. They look and say, I want to know what makes you different. Because clearly you couldn't do this on your own. And they see in and through you and me, Jesus. He says, look, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. We've escaped from this corruption. Then he goes on in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Anybody in here a dietitian? I know at least a couple of you are. When it comes to our diets, we all need to supplement our food with something. In fact, if you have the same diet and you eat just pizza every single day, you will not be a very healthy individual. It, if you have the same diet and you only eat mashed peas every day, you won't be a very healthy individual. It doesn't matter what you're consuming, we need to supplement our diet with the right things. 
And so if we can have a healthy, well-balanced diet, maybe we need fewer supplements. But maybe if you're lacking some iron or vitamin D or vitamin B, maybe it would be helpful alongside your meal to also take some vitamins that would then help you be healthier. You supplement yourself with those things. Peter, he writes that we're to supplement our faith with virtue. If you want to grow closer to God, you want to connect with him and experience his love and his power and his grace and his peace and his kindness, all of who he is each and every day. If you want the people around you to see him through you, supplement your faith with virtue. That's a really challenging thing in our world today because by and large, for most Christians in the West, we think one of two things, and I think they're both wrong. The one, which is probably where we in this room are more likely to lean, says because of Jesus, I don't have to do anything. And it frees us to be jerks and say it's okay, I'm forgiven. It frees us to treat people rudely or to flip them off when they cut us off. Like, that's fine, Jesus forgive me and to move on with our lives. But that's not good. Yes, before God, there's nothing you must do to be saved. But before your man, there's, or before man, before one another, before other people, there's a whole lot of things you must do to be a better person. Right? Don't flip people off when they cut you off in traffic even if they deserve it. We supplement our faith. And the one error is to say, because I'm forgiven, I don't need to do anything, and I don't ever need to change. I can stay as I am forever. But the other error says over here, look, in order to be forgiven, I need to prove my forgiveness by changing everything about who I am. And so if you continue to struggle with addiction or with depression or with sin or with shame or any of the brokenness that this corrupt world experiences, if you continue to be like that, then you must not actually believe. That's really prevalent here in the South for sure. This idea that everything has to be perfect once you have faith or, or else your faith isn't enough. Both of those extremes are not good. You see, when we find ourselves battling shame and legalism and addiction we can't shake and all of this, we need to remember, thank God I'm baptized. Thank God I have Jesus. Thank God he's done it all. And when we find ourselves feeling like there's nothing we need to do, we can treat our neighbors however we want, we don't have to apologize when we do something wrong because they did something wrong first. When we find ourselves over here, we need to remember, thank God, I have Jesus because I'm a total mess and I need him to change me. Paul or Peter, he writes, supplement your faith with virtue. We don't normally talk about virtues in this world a whole lot. Maybe you've seen the, the billboards about values, right? Like compassion, pass it on. Or kindness, pass it on. We have all these values that we like to uh, perpetuate in our community. Even in our schools, even when I was in, in elementary school, we had like a value of the week where we were all learning about what it means to be patient today or what it means to be kind today. And the problem with values as opposed to virtues, values are dependent upon you valuing it. 
If it's meaningful to you, it's a value. If it's not, then yeah, just dismiss it. Choose your own values. And yet virtue is a concept that is much older. That goes back several thousand years, this idea that there are certain truths, certain things that are always good no matter what. And if we can live a life seeking these good things, ultimately what we will see in our life is good things. The result of doing these certain virtues will always be things are better. Values, however, may or may not be. The Greco-Roman world that uh, Peter would, or wrote in had several virtues, things they held dear. And, and if you boil them all, all down, the Roman world had a bunch. The Greek world had a, a lot fewer. They had about seven that they said, this is what is virtuous. But out of those seven, they had four that they said, these four predominate and everything else follows. Now, interestingly enough, have you ever heard of the phrase seven deadly sins? Do you know where that comes from? The opposite of a virtue is a vice, something that's always bad and never good and will always lead to more bad. And so with the Greek world having what they ultimately said was seven main virtues, the church said, well, then there must also be seven main vices, the opposite of those virtues, the seven deadly sins. So I'm just going to share with you what they call the... Uh, uh, classical virtues, this is like the, the core, these are the basics of what everything else is built off of for Peter, and then we'll get to what it means for us today. First, you have prudence. Prudence, another word for that would be wisdom. It's the ability to discern what is good and what is right, and to do what is good and what is right. We all hope to have a little bit of wisdom, right? We hope that when somebody cuts us off, we know this is a bad time to say mean things. My kids are in the car. They will repeat them. We hope that when somebody treats us poorly, we know the best thing to do is to turn the other cheek. Prudence is knowing, having the wisdom to do what is right. Then you have fortitude. Fortitude refers to strength, having the courage to do what is right. See, just because you know what you must do doesn't mean you'll be willing to do it. Sometimes doing what is right in a difficult situation will be the last thing everybody else wants. So fortitude as a virtue is the strength and the courage to do what is right, even if there's a cost to it. Then after that, you have temperance. Temperance, you could also describe as patience. Temperance is the recognition you can't do everything. And it ties a lot into justice. I'll get there in a moment. But temperance is the recognition that you can't be at full speed, all, all engines go, right? Steam ahead, full steam ahead every single moment of your life. Anybody ever tried that? Like you're always the one who's on the go. You have the answers every time. You're ready to help every time. You never slow down. You never stop. What happens? Eventually you crash. And every one of us, if we've been to college, we know this to be true, not even with virtues, right? What happens in finals week? You don't sleep and drink gallons and gallons of energy drink and coffee. And then when you've taken your last final, what happens? You sleep for three days because your body can't keep up with that kind of pace. Temperance is realizing sometimes you go all in and sometimes you hold back. Sometimes you let them have everything and sometimes you don't. And this is really important with this fourth one, this idea of justice. Justice is defending those who somebody's doing wrong against. 
Justice is standing beside those who have nobody standing with them for what is right and what is good. And in our culture today, there's a whole lot of things we can declare as unjust. And if you don't have temperance to know when you should go all, um, all in and when you should not, if you don't have temperance to hold you back and say, I can't burn myself out all the time, what happens is every single time a new injustice rises to the awareness of our culture, you change the banner on your Facebook page. You say you stand with, you, you support, you care for, you love, whatever the group that's being oppressed is, whatever the cry for justice is, and what happens with your attitude? Usually nothing. It's just one more thing that passes by, a cry for justice that we never act upon because we don't have the capacity to do so. Peter, he writes, supplement your faith with virtue. And there's a good likelihood that these four things were things he was encouraging them to. If you wanna have faith, live out a virtuous life. Live in such a way that you're exploring justice and doing what is right and you know when to hold back and when not to and you know what to say and what to do and when not to say it or do it. Live like this. He continues. Supplement, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Knowledge is more than just wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge, how to apply the right things at the right time. Knowledge can be a whole host of things. It's quite literally seeking to grow in understanding of things. And so in our culture today and our need for social justice and our need for this and that, growing in knowledge gives us a greater understanding to see where other people are coming from gives us a greater capacity to recognize what are the challenges or the injustices or the realities of this world. Growing in knowledge isn't just knowledge of this world, but it's a knowledge of God as well. If God is for you, are we content with the simple entry-level basics, Jesus died for my sins and it'll be okay? Or is there more to God than just that? Are we actively pursuing understanding him and the things he does and the way he works more? Or are we content to say, well, I'm saved, who cares? Peter, he says, if you pursue pursue virtue, virtue will always then create knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Imagine if we had self-control as a people today. Instead of going through the drive-thru, you waited five minutes to have food that's already in your fridge at home. Or instead of ordering three cheeseburgers because they're cheap, you just get two because you don't need that third one. It just tastes good enough. Or when somebody says something mean, you don't feel the need to slander them and speak your truth, but you bite your tongue. Imagine if we had self-control. It says in, in self-control, we supplement with steadfastness. The ability to stand firm, to keep moving in the right direction, no matter what. Unfortunately for many of us, we're like ships being tossed to and fro in the night. We find that our foundation of faith, our foundation of understanding who God is, our foundation of just Jesus died for my sins, 
and everything else doesn't matter, when we only focus on that simple truth and not the rest of who God is, every time something comes up that's challenging or difficult or causes us to question, we find ourselves tossed back and forth, unsure, what do we do? Peter, he says, virtue and knowledge and self-control lead to steadfastness, the ability to just keep going when things get tough. And steadfastness with godliness. See, as we pursue these virtues and this knowledge, as one begets the other, as they grow within us, as we are not stagnant but are moving in our faith, as this happens, we become more like God. Wouldn't that be great? If when your kids were misbehaving, you responded more like God in truth, in kindness, in grace, when people who are not Christians are acting exactly like we should expect them to act as not Christians, wouldn't it be great if we in turn didn't stoop to their level and begin acting like them, but instead we acted with godliness? Wouldn't that be wonderful? It says, in godliness, ultimately with brotherly affection, the love of your family, you and I throughout scripture are, call, are called brothers and sisters. If we can't love one another well, how can we ever love our community well? How can we ever love somebody who thinks differently than me or votes differently than me or lives differently than me? How can we ever love them if we don't love one another? And that brotherly affection creates then genuine love for everybody. Who is my brother? Everyone. That age-old question of Cain, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are. And so am I. Peter, he writes that our faith should be supplemented with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And then he says this, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. If these are yours, and if they're increasing, they keep you from being unfruitful. I find that oftentimes in my life, I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels, not really going anywhere or doing anything. Like my life's just kind of on repeat, right? I just do the same thing each and every day, each and every week over and over again. Peter says, if we're growing in these things, if they're increasing in us, it'll keep us from being unfruitful. Imagine if these things growing in us kept us loving our neighbor a little bit more, raising my children a little bit kinder or nicer, serving others who are hurting, standing up for what is unjust in a way that's actually bearing fruit and making a difference and changing lives. This is the promise Peter says. If we have these things and are growing in them, we will be fruitful. Then he continues, 
For, for, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. See, the truth is, if we're not pursuing virtue and supplementing our faith with knowledge and with steadfastness and with self-control, if our faith isn't also coupled with doing good works for the sake of our neighbor, if our faith doesn't move us into this broken world to be a source of hope and peace and light for those who are in darkness, well, then we're no better off than those who are in darkness. He says, look, you're so blinded. If you don't have these things, you forget your former self that was in sin. When we forget just how far we've fallen ourselves, it's really easy to stop caring about others who are hurting and broken. He says, these things, these virtues, these behaviors, this lifestyle will always remind you of your own inadequacy and sin and failure. Not that we can live beating ourselves up with guilt and shame and needing to fix it, but so that we can come back to Jesus each and every day. I am not able on my own, but you are. I too am broken, not better or worse than the people around me, but you, Jesus, are better than all of us. And when we remember our former sin, we remember just how much he loves, that while we were sinful, he would die for us. While we were broken, he would give everything to heal us. And when we remember that, there's nothing that costs too much to give to our neighbor. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. You and I have been called forth into this world to make a difference, to love those who don't know they're loved, to change this broken world, to help those who are in its former ways escape from all that is here, the corruption that has taken over our hearts and our minds and our world around us. We have been called into this mission. So he says, confirm that calling. Basically stand up and say, today is the day. Enough is enough. I'm not gonna live as I once did. I'm not gonna sit back idly and do nothing. I'm gonna engage in growing that I can engage in loving and serving. Confirm your calling and election by practicing these things. This is my hope and my prayer for each one of us that Christ in us will change us. And as he changes us, we will love our neighbors better. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you, sometimes nearsighted and blinded, forgetting our former self that we once were trapped in this world, in the ways of this world, we once were filled with corruption of sin and sorrow and shame, and yet you reached into our mess.
and you called us up. You pulled us out of that muck and made us new. You have made us partakers of the divine nature of your life and of your love, of your power and of your healing, of your hope and of your peace. Teach us today to remember our sin, to trust in your promises, to supplement our faith with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection that ultimately we may live as those who love, who love you and love others. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. As we continue our worship today, we're going to do so by collecting an offering. And I often share why we collect an offering in this place. So if you came prepared to give an offering, real briefly, we collect an offering to support the cost of doing the things we do, but also to love and serve our community and care care for those around us. If you came prepared to give with cash or check, you can do so in the popcorn buckets in the back as you leave. Uh, If you filled out one of those physical connect cards with a prayer request or just with your information so we can connect with you, you can drop that in the bucket. And if you came prepared to give online today, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking the teal button in the bottom corner. Before you give, I would like to do something that we don't normally do. I don't think we ever have done. If we have, it's been once or twice. Uh, We're gonna take a special offering today that I hope will be above and beyond what we normally give. So if you came prepared to give today, please do that. Um, How many of you know Sarah and Jody Dearmore? Okay, a handful of you. If you don't know them, I can promise you, you've been blessed by them. Uh, Jody has been faithfully, along with Aaron, coming almost every Saturday for a year and a half to clean the building, so you have clean toilets. Sarah and Jody are here almost every Sunday, serving with setting up or with camera, a whole host of ways. Um, And right now I wanna do something that they would be thoroughly embarrassed by, um, but I don't care, all right? We as a church are called to care for one another. And they, a couple weeks ago, got diagnosed with COVID. They spent almost a week in the hospital. And now they're just, they're at home, but they're absolutely wiped out and struggling. Um, Struggling to get up and down the stairs to bed or to breakfast. Um, Just struggling throughout their day. And so one of the things I would like us to do above and beyond our normal giving is give an extra offering that we're gonna give to them as a blessing in this time of need. Because they've been without work for a couple of weeks and because they will probably continue to be without work for a few weeks, not only are they physically struggling, but financially it's tough. And since we're called to love one another, if that is something you would like to do and you wanna do it electronically, you can give a gift. Just put um, love in the memo right? Online, there's a memo option. Just put love and I'll know what you mean. And we'll give them a gift just to say we care about you and we love you. And if you would like to do that with cash or check, do the same thing um, either on an envelope or on your check. Put that in the popcorn bucket, um, preferably above and beyond what you normally are prepared to give. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but simply because we already have it. Thank you. Well, this is the part of service where uh, all the questions you texted in, I get to respond to, and there were quite a few. And before you start reading them, uh, there's two people asked me this question in person last week. Um, 
Last week I mentioned the 96 theses that Martin Luther posted on the door. Uh, I misspoke. There's 95 theses, and two of you caught that and pointed it out. So, whoops. All right. What questions came in? Uh, we got a handful, actually, a good, a good chunk. Um, I'll start with chronological order. Real, yeah. Um, I don't feel God's le- reckless love. How do I know? You know his love because he gave his life for you. Um, love isn't always felt, but is received. And let us love you and show you that love. Um, we'll keep doing that as long as it takes for you to start feeling it. Um, next question. I am surprised when I read about the parallels between the Bible and the Quran. Quran or Quran? Quran, I think. I don't know. I don't speak Arabic, so I'm probably wrong. On the spot. How embarrassing. Um, I have read that the Muslim faith considers Jesus a prophet. And I read this week that Moses is also considered a prophet in the Muslim faith and that Moses is mentioned in the Quran more than any of their prophets. Is this all true? Yes. Yeah. If you'd like further, I'll actually go a little deeper on Facebook and appoint leftovers with this later because there's some fascinating parallels and also some really significant differences that are worth noting. Um, but I'll, I'll go deeper into that later. So the short answer is yes, it is true that they're mentioned there as prophets. So follow the Point Knox on Facebook if you're not already, and we'll get that up that later this week. Um, next question. Oh, someone just says, I love this church. We love you. Uh, yeah. Do you think church is necessary or just something you can do when you want to? Um, yes, it is necessary. Is it necessary for salvation? Well, is it necessary for a branch to be connected to a tree? Not always. Sometimes that branch can fall to the ground and take root and begin to grow its own tree. But generally, if that branch is cut off, it's going to die. And so um, if you are not connected to the body of Christ, uh, his community, you're missing out on the fullness of what he has for you and other people are missing out on what you bring to the community. So can you be a Christian and not could be connected to a local congregation? Yes. Is it really difficult and highly dangerous, and would I discourage it? Yes. All right, next question. How do we face problems or stand up for ourselves in a Christ-like way, especially having so much controversy in today's times? I'll also pick this one up on Wednesday a little more. Okay. That's a good question. My really short answer is, are we defending ourselves or defending somebody else? Because if we want to be like Christ, there's no space for defending ourselves. But there's a lot of space for standing up for those who are defenseless. Mm. Jesus did that a lot. And so um, the real short answer is, are we aiming to defend ourselves or defend others? All right, just a few more. I guess I had a lot of questions today. This is fun. They're, and they're good ones. In the South, everyone talks about being saved. Is being baptized the same as being saved? If not, what's the difference? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> as a Lutheran, my answer would be yes. Um, because we believe baptism is a gift God gives to us. It says in Second or in First Peter, it says that we're saved. Uh, through baptism in Acts it says that we're forgiven through baptism like there's this promise given associated with it and so if you believe that it's only a decision confirming what you believe 
then baptism has very little significant salvific value. If you believe salvific, that, yeah, that's new. Salvation, okay. very yeah, little no, yeah, value yeah, yeah, for yeah. salvation. Yeah. If you believe that God gives you a good gift of faith and life in His Holy Spirit, then it's absolutely filled with the promises of salvation. Um, now, the caveat that always follows that: Do you have to be baptized in order to be saved? No. But why wouldn't you be? I mean. Let's be honest. The thief on the cross, I think if he'd come down from the cross, probably would have gone and gotten baptized. <laughs> he didn't have that opportunity. All right. I don't have quips back today. My brain's foggy. That I need every hour of sleep didn't help. Normally, I'm way more fun than this, guys. Okay. It's true. Life has been so, so hard for me for what seems like way too long. I want to pursue these virtues, but I find my relationship with God is really just him keeping my head above water. It's beautiful and it's intimate, but it's mostly Jesus helping me through my pain. How can I start to grow and practice new virtues when my heart, mind, and soul hurt so much everything else doesn't register? Have you ever had the chance to go to San Francisco and see the Redwood Forest? No. You should. It's really cool. If you're not familiar, redwoods are, I think, the second tallest tree, maybe the tallest tree on the planet. They're huge. And they're like 15 or 20 feet wide and 400 feet tall. And do you know their root ball is only about eight feet deep? Mm -hmm. Because what happens is the roots tangle with the roots around them and helps them hold strong and firm. And so if one tree gets struck by lightning and begins to fall, it's likely the ones around them are going to begin to die too. And so if you're in this place where you're just barely keeping your head above water, that's okay. We all are there at times. And we need people around us who, like those trees, can be anchors, who can hold us tight when we don't have any other place to go and can say, it will be okay. We'll help you get through this. So if you're in that place where you're in over your head, we want to be those people who help you stand strong so that one day, through this mess, you can see God shine. Last question for today. How do I know God loves me? How do you know he loves you? Because while you were still sinful in all of your mess, uh, Paul, he writes that all of our best good deeds and best works, the good that we can produce is like a pile of poo. And he says, if that's our best and God still wants you, what other love is there? So how do you know that he loves you? Because he gave you Jesus. If you don't feel it right now, let us show you. Let us walk with you. Maybe it'll take days or weeks or months or years, but let us show you just how much he loves you. All right? Is that it? Those are all the questions for today. Every question's a good question except for the question you refuse to ask. So feel free to ask questions all the time, even during the week. I'm going to be responding to at least two of those a little more in depth on Wednesday on social media. So follow the point knocks to see that later. Uh, but before you go, then receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, 
simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.